Good afternoon and welcome to the news portion of Midday Magazine for this Monday, November 28th. I'm Julie Hersey. Borough Manager Steve Giesbrecht gave an update to the Assembly last Monday on projects coming up over the next five years. The five-year update was requested by Assemblymember Bob Lynn. Most of the projects don't have price tags yet. Rachel Cassandra spoke with Assemblymembers Lynn and Thomas Fine Walsh about notable projects. One of the projects on the list is year-round public restrooms. Assemblymember Tom Fine Walsh says he's excited to see that proposal on the list for parks and recreation projects. That's something I've been really pushing for, and I'm, I'm glad uh, uh, Stephanie Payne at Parks and Rec is, is working on that, uh, along with everything else. Granted, she's got a lot on her plate right now. Fine Walsh was speaking on KFSK's live radio program, Borough Business, along with Assemblymember Bob Lynn. Lynn says there are many parks and rec projects on the borough's list that focus on maintenance and repair, including a big painting project for the pool. You have to use a specialty type of paint, very, very expensive. And it's really hard to to put a, a scaffolding over the pool area to be able to paint the top of that. So that particular project also is very, very expensive to, to come about. The pool project doesn't have a specific budget yet. Another project on the five-year list is moving the Harbor Department office. Feinwalsh says he's pleased to see that the Harbor office may move to a new location. Which I think would make life uh, a lot easier for the Harbor Master and, and, and their employees, but also might open up the uh, space uh, the office is currently using uh, for, for alternative uses, maybe like a park or some kind of public use facility, which would, would be really exciting. Currently, the Harbormaster's office is near North Harbor and is an old building in disrepair. It was built in the early 1980s before ADA regulations to accommodate people with disabilities. Feinwalsh says there are a lot of public works maintenance projects in the borough's five-year plan. Well, the biggest list was, was the public works. Frankly, just a lot of tubes. I mean, we gotta, we got <laughs> keep, to keep on top of our tubes here. It's a major problem, so... Uh, you know, not not quite as exciting, um, but certainly just as important. Borough manager Steve Giesbrecht says that before any of the listed projects begin, they will go through several steps. They go through a process where we start looking at what's the price tag on it, and then it comes back to the assembly to, you know, look at how do we going to pay for it. Lynn requested the five-year projects list be included in the manager's report to assembly during their last meeting. He says he wanted the assembly to have a sense of big projects on the horizon. Anytime you want to spend money, say, for instance, on one project, you got to keep in mind that there's about 40 or 50 other projects out there that we have, we're going to have to fund in one way or another at some point in time. Lynn says it's also helpful for new members of the assembly to have a sense of the magnitude of projects on the borough's plate. This October, two new borough assembly members were elected, Donna Marsh and Scott Newman. In Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. Anyone can access the full list of five-year borough projects on the borough's website, petersburgak.gov. It's part of the Borough Assembly Agenda Packet for November 21st. The Petersburg Borough Assembly voted to keep Assembly Member Bob Lynn and Utility Director Carl Hagerman on the SEPA board. The Southeast Alaska Power Agency provides hydroelectric power to Petersburg, Wrangell, and Ketchikan and has two Petersburg representatives on its board of directors. Rachel Cassandra has this report. At Monday's assembly meeting, Mayor Mark Jensen proposed Bob Lynn and Carl Hagerman for the SEPA board. The two men had applied to keep their seats. I would like to appoint Assemblymember Lynn as the voting member 
and Utility Director Hagerman as the alternate. This will be Lynn's fifth year on the board. He says this year, the board will work on replacing the CEO of the company. Current CEO Trey Acteson has served the agency for 10 years. It's going to be hard filling that job with that kind of skill skills that's going to be needed. It's going to take time. Lynn says he doesn't expect a new CEO to be confirmed until the summer. By the time you do all the you, by the time you get to candidates, do all the interviews and so forth, that probably won't be done till like next June or July uh, is, is my best guess. Mm-hmm. Lynn says another major project on the agenda over the next few years will be considering an additional hydroelectric power plant for the area. Petersburg, Wrangell, and Ketchikan share an electric grid, which allows the three communities to accommodate fluctuating power needs. A new plant is not a new idea. The location for this project is almost settled. But Lynn says timing for building the project is essential. But you don't want to bring it on too quick because then you can't use all the power or the majority of the power. But you don't want to wait too long because then you're going to have very, very expensive diesel runs between the three communities. The timing to build and bring the plant online will be based on research on both current and projected electricity needs. Lynn is confident in the process. We've just finished uh, a a plan looking at everything uh, over the next 20 years of what we're going to need to maintain, uh, to improve and make changes for. So we're we're getting very good at getting a handle on, you know, what our needs are going to be for the future. Lynn and Hagerman will serve three-year terms on the SEPA board representing Petersburg. Lynn will be the voting member and Hagerman the alternate. They were confirmed by the assembly with no objections. In Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. The story of residential schools in Alaska is more complicated than recent headlines suggest. In Sitka, as part of Native American Heritage Month events, a panel discussion was held to examine the complex history of Sitka's former residential school, Sheldon Jackson. Meredith Reddick has this report. It's a rainy Sunday night in Sitka, and the front room of Fraser Hall on the Sheldon Jackson campus is bustling as about 20 people gather for a conversation about residential schools in Alaska. It's an appropriate location for the subject. Sheldon Jackson used to be a residential school. Moderator Yedikuk A. Dion Brady Howard spoke along panelists Bob Sam and Rebecca Polson about their work on the history of the campus. The campus opened in 1878 as a training school for Native boys. It also served as a boarding high school and college at different points until it closed in 2007. Polson, a local historian who interviewed Sheldon Jackson graduates after the school closed, said the story doesn't necessarily follow the narrative of many residential schools. Every single graduate of the high school we talked to loved it. Like, they use that word love. I loved SJ. Brady Howard similarly remembered a lot of pride from people who graduated from Sheldon Jackson High School. They kind of had a rivalry between Sheldon Jackson and Mount Edgecombe as far as school spirit. Residential schools have made headlines in recent years with the discovery of mass graves at schools in Canada. Brady Howard was careful to note that even under the best circumstances, these schools still worked to erase language, rituals, and traditions. And it's this notion that, you know, people needed to be saved and civilized and, and um, you know, introduced to, to religion and English and Western education. 
For Poulsen, the goal in documenting these stories is to prevent complex perspectives from being buried in time. Sam, a former tribal council member and longtime community member, uncovers history in a more literal way. He spends his free time clearing brush and writing headstones in Sitka cemeteries, including the plots behind the Shelton Jackson campus where many staff and students were buried. He recalled pointing out graves to a group of volunteers one day. And I showed them, oh, that's the founding member of the Alaska Native Brotherhood. He's the one that built this flume. Oh, that's that's a founding member of so-and-so. Oh, yeah, that's a... That's... Those are the people that organized the 1904 potlatch. For Sam, restoring these local plots is a way to keep histories alive. The events of Native American Heritage Month are celebrating those histories and others with events through the end of the month. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. As holidays go, Thanksgiving is fairly new. There was a time when there was no designated day to give thanks and when giving thanks was part of daily life. Rhonda McBride looks at how Alaska Native languages offer a window not just to the past, but into humanity and the spirituality of gratitude. You're listening to a song from the Alutic Elders Academy called Guyana, which means thank you. It's also the same word in the Yupik language, or Yuktun. Guyana. For Asikayakayak, Guyana is a word with deeper layers of meaning, one with roots from a culture of sharing food gathered from the land and the sea. Asi grew up near Bethel in Shifornik, where, as a small child, he absorbed the true meaning of Guyana. As I got older, I was able to help my father more, and I watched him butcher seals that my brothers have caught, and then he would hand me the the choice parts, which are the soldiers of the seal. And he would say, Kita, give these to these elders. As he carried the seal meat to his elders, Ossie remembers how his hands were full and how his heart overflowed with joy. And I gently used my feet to knock on their door and they would open up and then they would, oh my, thank you so much. Goodness, cheese. Hune Lance Twitchell has dedicated his life to spreading knowledge about the languages and cultures of Southeast Alaska, where he teaches Tlingit. I think the word has an ancient origin. There's a related verb, which would be like chichish, which would be for something to be possible. And so you could say something like, I believe it's possible. As if to say, it wouldn't be possible without you. And that, says Hune, is more than just gratitude, but a form of acknowledgement. Some of our elders, like the late Kingisti David Kansik, used to talk about the power of this phrase and how much emphasis and love you could put into it, sometimes by dragging out that last syllable, goodness, cheesh. It isn't just a casual thank you. It's masicho. 
It means so much to me, your kindness. Kay Wallace is Guichin, a traditional healer who believes Masi Cho carries great spiritual energy. She says her people's long history has shown that gratitude helps to heal from sickness and trauma and also survive hard times. I'm 78, and so when I talk about my elders, most of them have passed, but they all remember hunger. They remember the starvation period. And then when somebody would just share a bone with them, a moose bone, caribou bone, or a piece of fish, masi cho. Wallace says most of us today have never known such hardship and the importance of sharing what little you may have to give. Masi cho. It, it, it meant... So much. You're keeping me alive. You're keeping my family alive. Thank you. Thank you for my heart. She says there was a time when gratitude was a way of life. You thank the sun for coming up, for going down. Thank you for the light. You're so grateful for the light. Thank you, Creator. Masicho, Creator. Wallace's Thanksgiving is a forerunner of the solstice on December 21st when the light returns. Light that radiates in words like Masicho or Goyana. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. Gunashish. That wraps up the news portion of Midday Magazine for this Monday, the 28th day of November.